You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see all of you here. Hey, if you are new, welcome. Thank you for making Radiant Church a part of your weekend. My name is Marco, and of course, I am the lead pastor here. Hey, this past Wednesday evening, we had an amazing, incredible time of worship and teaching, and I brought a message entitled, Israel, Conflict, and the Return of Jesus. So if you're watching the news and you're seeing all these things take place, and you're wondering about Israel's role, you're wondering about the war right now, how this all ties into the end times maybe, perhaps, you should watch this message. It's on YouTube. Just go ahead and type in Radiant Church Base City, and you'll see it under our last uh, worship night, our worship evening. And I want you to check this out because, listen, I think it's really important that we understand uh, the current situation in light of the times that we're living in. So make sure you, you take a few moments and check that out this week. Well, today, church, listen, we are in part number three. This is our final installment of a message series that we've entitled For Better or Worse, Biblical Principles for Marriage and Relationships. If you have not seen the other two parts or listened to them, make sure you catch up on YouTube or you can download the podcast as well. I would love to have you listen to all three of these parts. You know, it's been said that you, can, you cannot succeed in life and fail at relationships. You know, so often our success in life is, is tied to our relationships. And then furthermore, I, I talked about this last week, I think it was, is that Satan loves to destroy marriages. Because if he can destroy a marriage, we know that he can destroy a family. And when he destroys a family, it leads to the breakdown of a society and eventually a nation and as we look on the news, as we look around us, as we look at just the state of our nation today, and so much, in so many parts, in so many ways, I should say, it's really a, a result of the, the breakdown of the family because Satan loves to destroy families. In today's message, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about the forgiveness factor. The forgiveness factor. You cannot have a healthy, sustaining, thriving relationship without forgiveness. In fact, let me just say this. We all know that forgiveness is, is central to the message of the gospel, right? That God does not hold our sins against us, that he sent his one and only son to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be forgiven. I love what John Mark Comer says in his, uh, in his book, he says this, marriage is the art of learning to forgive over and over and over again. If you've been married longer than five minutes, you know this is the truth, right? Now listen, if you're single, we love single people in here, so this, this topic of forgiveness is going to affect every single one of us. We all are involved in relationships to some extent or another. And again, listen, the, the, the ability, the capacity for you to succeed in life so often is co correlated or directed to what? Our relationships or the health of our 
relationships. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to begin in verse number 21 here in just a moment. But this is known as the parable of the unmerciful servant, the parable of the unmerciful servant. So we'll read through this text together, and then we'll take a a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into the rest of our message. Here's what verse number 23 says, or 21 rather, says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And this is like an enormous amount of money, just so you know. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which, by the way, just kind of pales in comparison to what he had just been forgiven of. Okay, it's like a thousand dollars versus seven billion dollars is what scholars say somewhere along those lines. But when he had, but when, but when that servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a, a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, fool. Oh, it doesn't say fool. I just added that in there for a special effect. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. Here's the phrase, church. From your heart. From your heart. Let's go ahead and begin to pray as we open up God's word. Father, we love you and we thank you for this message today. We thank you for uh, just the opportunity to gather uh, with brothers and sisters, for you to open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to hear what you have to say, God. Lord, I pray that forgiveness might just be uh, might just be might abound in this congregation today. Lord, soften our hearts and open our eyes to the words that you want us to hear, Lord. Father, I pray that you fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that, I, that what I might preach might be accurate, God. Everything that's not, Lord, fall to the ground, God. But we want to hear from you more than anything, God. 
So would you draw us near to you? Every, every man, every woman, every child in this church today, God, would you draw them near to you, God? And so we ask this and we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, Amen, amen. Well, listen, as we begin this parable this morning, we see that uh, sort of Peter steps onto the scene, and Peter kind of opens up the scene with asking Jesus the Lord, right? How many times must I forgive my brother and sister, right? He's probably thinking there has to be some sort of limitations on this thing called forgiveness, right? I cannot keep continuing to forgive my brothers and my sisters. And so Peter Peter's answer is seven. Now, here's what you need to know. The going rate for the rabbis in that day was three. So Peter is quite clever. As you can see, Peter's like three times two is six. Let me add one for seven. Boom, right? He's like, I think that's a sufficient answer. I think I look good with this answer. So he goes to Jesus seven times, right? And Jesus' response is like astonishing. It's shocking. Jesus tells him, like, okay, not seven times, but 70 times, or, or seven times 70 in some of your translations. And so, listen, it is a shocking response. In other words, Jesus is making the point of this, that true disciples, that if you're following Jesus, and, and not just in name, but truly you've bowed your heart and your life to the lordship of Jesus, that for the disciple, for you and me, listen, if you call yourself a disciple— our forgiveness should be without limits. Now, you might be thinking, that's impossible. I'm offended. And I honestly, I want you to be offended. I really do. The gospel is an offensive message. If it's not offensive to us, it means that we've, we've probably bought into another gospel. We've softened it too much, right? But honestly, this is an intimidating response that Jesus gives us. And if that's the way you're feeling this morning, can I just say, I agree. I agree, but I want to make a quick point here, a quick caveat for, for, for some of you right now, and it's this. Forgiveness and fellowship are two different things. Forgiveness and fellowship are two different things. What, what, why are you saying that? Well, here's why I'm saying this. I can forgive you, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be in fellowship with you forever. So in a marriage, listen, in a marriage, sometimes in order for there to be forgiveness, there must be some space or there must be some separation. Why? So that you can work on the forgiveness part. Why is that? Well, because if you're in an environment where it's dangerous, where there's physical abuse, maybe there's some sort of emotional abuse or torment. Listen, I want you to be in an environment that is separate, that's safe, so that you can begin to work on what? On forgiving. Because you cannot forgive someone when you're under a constant barrage of bullets. Why? Because you're still bleeding out all over the floor. And for some of you, you may need a, a, a temporary time of separation, of space. Are you saying, are you, are you advocating for divorce? No, I'm not. I'm advocating for space. There's a difference. And so some of us, listen, we need some space so that we can forgive the other person. We can work on that first. It's incredibly difficult to forgive in an environment where the abuse is constant. Now, the debt that we owe God, I'm going to just talk about this quickly. The debt that we owe God 
is far greater. I mean, it's, it's, it's so great that there's not enough money, there's not enough gold on the planet to ever repay back God what we owe him. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take our place on the cross. It wasn't just for free. Someone paid for that. Well, who pays for it? Jesus does. His own life is given his own blood. God gives his one and only son. That's how big our debt is. When we, when we think about this story that we just read, I want us to think that our debt was so great. It was so great. It took the death of God's son. My theology teacher in seminary would say this. He would say, uh, uh, you don't get free lunch, right? Nothing is for free. Nothing is for free. Who pays for it? Jesus does. He pays for it with his own life. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, okay, is it possible to forgive without limitations? I understand. I have that question too. Here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to lay this out for you. We're going to make several observations from the text. We're going to go back into the parable. We're going to pull five observations from there that I think are key, are critical for us to understand. Like, can we do this forgiveness thing? over and over and over again. God, you don't know my marriage. You don't know my relationships. You don't know my boss. You might be thinking, I get that. So we'll go back into the text. And then what we'll do is this. We'll look at uh, three forms of fake forgiveness. Fake forgiveness, because fake forgiveness shows up quite often. And then three forms of fake apologies. I think we need to to be aware of all of these things as we move into a posture of forgiveness. So let's take a look at the text, the biblical text, and we're going to go back to verse number 24. And the first thing I want to say is this, is that the debt is named. If you're going to forgive someone, listen, the debt must be named. The debt must be named. So the text tells us that 10,000 bags of gold was owed to him. That is the debt. The debt is named. If you're going to forgive someone, the debt must be named. In other words, if you're offended, if you're hurt, that hurt, that offense must be named. Now, sometimes it's on both parties. Sometimes it's only on one party. Either way, the debt must be named. If you're offended, if you're hurt, it doesn't do anyone any good to throw it under the rug, to, to pretend like it doesn't exist, to pretend like it never happened. The debt must be named named. Not brushing it off, not saying, you know what, whatever. No. Here's what happens sometimes in relationships is that when the debt is not named for years and years and years, it goes on. And then what happens? Someone snaps. And then, I mean, it's just a barrage of insults or someone storms out of the house. Someone drops the D word. I'm talking about divorce here, right? And all of a sudden, there's just a huge blow up in the home because, listen, the debt must be named. Number two, this is interesting, still in verse 27, the king has pity on the man. The king has pity on the man. Now, the interesting thing in the New Testament is that word for pity is the word compassion. So the king has compassion on the man. Now, you think that's sort of odd. 
This is very countercultural. I want you to understand this. Why does the king have compassion or pity on the perpetrator? Right? Here's why. In order to forgive someone, you need to begin to identify with them and their plight and why perhaps they may have done their hurt in the first place. And you may say, well, that's pure evil. They're pure evil. Well, it may be. But perhaps in the case of Hamas terrorists, if for those needing to forgive Hamas, we would say this. Well, from a very young age, they were indoctrinated with hate. That's compassion. From a very young age, they were taught to hate and not to love. From a very young age, they were robbed of a life, a life of normalcy, a life that had the ability to love others. They were robbed that ability. Listen, that begins the process of forgiveness, having compassion or pity on the perpetrator. Now, this is very, very, very difficult for all of us. Why? Because when somebody offends you, you know what you do? You think of all the ways you can get them back. You think of all the ways why they're wrong. He's wrong because he's a he did that and I and he's a this bleep bleep and right. We don't think about like how to have compassion. We're thinking of like I'm gonna bury this guy physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, right? But in the story, the king who forgives has pity on the man. I think it's fascinating. Number three. The king cancels the debt. And we're still in verse number 27. The king cancels the debt. Now, listen, when the king forgave the debt, it means this. It means that he absorbed the cost. He absorbed the debt, right? So forgiveness always costs something. Always, right? There's no free lunch. When we're forgiven of our sins, it costs Jesus his very life. When you forgive your spouse, when you forgive your coworker, when you forgive your boss, it will cost you something. You have to absorb the cost. I want you to understand that it will cost you something. So let me give you a very practical example so you know this. Let's say I've got to get together at my house and we've got five couples. We've just got our leadership team over our house and we've got a lot of kids on our leadership team. And so we've got kids going crazy. And because uh, all of us, we know how to tune our kids out so well, um, our kids are just going crazy in the living room while we're just having a good old time in the dining room, eating some good food and talking, right? Well, one of the kids gets a little bit too wild. And so WWE breaks out, right? And they're jumping off the sofas like our kids do. And then when one, one of these children do that, down goes a lamp. Like one of these, you know, nice lamps cost 150 bucks. All of a sudden just you know, shattered in 50 pieces. And so then we're like, oh my gosh, what was that? So we head out into the living room and it was little Johnny. Little Johnny was emulating a WWE wrestler. And he jumps off of the couch, right? And the vibrations turn over the lamp and breaks it into 100 pieces. Well, I've got two choices. I'm the owner of the home. I'm gonna forgive or I'm not going to forgive. So I look at little Johnny and say, little Johnny, I love you, buddy. I forgive you. It's okay. It's all right. Just help clean up the mess. I forgive you. Well, who's paying for the cost of that lamp? I am. Not little Johnny. I forgave him. What does that mean? It means two things. Either I'm going to buy a new lamp for $150 or in the corner of that room, there's not going to be any light. I'm absorbing the cost. 
So forgiveness is not free. So when you forgive, listen, you are absorbing that cost. This is what Jesus does. He absorbs it. It falls upon him. And we, when we forgive our spouses, when we forgive those who have offended or hurt us, we are absorbing, remembering that there was one who absorbed our sin. There was one who absorbed our offenses, which, by the way, they were great. They were great. So the king cancels his debt. Number four, the king let him go. He lets him go. This means that relationship between the king and the man was restored. It, there was reconciliation. Uh, I think we should fight for reconciliation in every relationship. We should, we should do everything we can to reconcile. But at times I understand because of the hardness of heart, because of the brokenness of humanity, because of the sinful nature of man, listen, we can't reconcile. And there must be a separation. We can forgive, but it doesn't mean we'll be in fellowship anymore. It, does, it means that the relationship will have changed from that point on. It doesn't mean that we're consumed with hate. Okay, again, we're forgiving because we are commanded to forgive. It's not an option. It's a commandment. We must forgive. There is no option for the disciple of Jesus Christ. You have to forgive. I have to forgive. But it may mean we're not in fellowship with that individual. Now, in this case, listen, the king, uh, the, the, the man was no longer a debtor and a violator of the king's trust, but a citizen and a servant once again. Number five, the most fundamental lesson of the parable is that human forgiveness must be based on an experience of divine forgiveness. An experience of divine forgiveness. That last verse in the parable, Jesus says, this is the way my heavenly father will treat you if you do not forgive from the heart. That's so, those are sobering words, right? And so when we look at that, Jesus is not trying to tell us that we can somehow earn forgiveness. We can't. So if you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that you can earn God's forgiveness. That's not what Jesus is trying to say here. The idea is this. Jesus is really trying to communicate this idea that once we've received and we have a revelation of the forgiveness of God, then we can begin to forgive other people by realizing how much we've been forgiven of ourselves and that we didn't earn it, that we didn't deserve it. And God gave it by sending his son, and his son, what, pays for it. He absorbs it. So this is what we, we must do in our marriages. This is, this is the, where the gospel, like, hits the, like, rubber meets the road in your marriage, right? To, in order to forgive, you have to have a revelation of the ways that you've been forgiven. Jesus doesn't even imply, even if they don't ask for forgiveness, that's what, yeah, it doesn't mention that. So we we're commanded to forgive even when they don't ask for forgiveness. But it starts with what? With an experience of God's divine love. It means this, that divine mercy should change our hearts so that we're able to forgive as God forgave us. Divine mercy changes your heart. That's what we're looking for here when it comes to forgiveness. Is it easy? Not always. We know this. Many of us have a forgiveness story. I would just say most of us have a forgiveness story. Okay? Most of us have a forgiveness story. We understand this. We understand this. Now, as we move into this idea of forgiving others, whenever we're, we're talking about this, so easily 
so quickly, fake forgiveness moves in, right? Fake forgiveness moves in. It's a counterfeit of real forgiveness. This is the way Satan loves to, 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 to really change things up and to trick things up, so to speak, in a relationship. Fake forgiveness shows up. It's a counterfeit of the real thing. I, I want you to be aware of this because this shows up in many of our marriages. All right. Fake forgiveness. Here we go. Number one, passive-aggressive forgiveness. Passive-aggressive forgiveness. Passive-aggressive forgiveness is when the person outwardly agrees to forgive, but they subtly express their anger or resentment in passive-aggressive ways. Ooh. You're trying to, like, take out the garbage. <laughs> Honey, you okay? Something wrong there? <laughs> you said you weren't mad at me. Everything good? Right? Just put a hole to the wall. I don't know if you're okay. I'm sensing that you're, you might not be okay. Passive aggressive ways. Um, fake forgiveness says that I forgive you, but I will use it against you in the future, especially if we're in another fight. Especially if we are in another fight. The idea is this, is that I'm not supposed to take the hurt that you dealt me and turn around and try to hurt you with it later. We do this sometimes. Why? Why do we do this? Because the cliche is true. Hurt people hurt people. So if I'm hurt, guess what I'm prone to do? Well, I'm prone to hurt you back. Because why? I want you to, I want you to feel what I feel. So I'm going to make sure you feel that way by using my words. Real forgiveness says, I'm not going to keep bringing it up and using it against you, using it against you later. Well, why? Why can't we do that? Isn't that, that's more fun though, Pastor Marco. And you might think that's the truth, but the Bible tells us not to do this. Paul, when he's referencing love, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. It does not honor, it does not, sorry, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, the first two parts, I, I can get those, right? But it keeps no record of wrongs? <sighs> really? This is easier said than done in our marriages and relationships, and yet Paul says that we should not be so easily offended, nor should we keep a notebook with all the mistakes our spouses have made in the past. Now, you might not keep a physical notebook, but you may keep a mental notebook. And this is the problem, right? Using our words to, to belittle each other and bring up past mistakes is a little bit like having weapons. I'm going to show you something here. Just to kind of bring it home for y'all. Forgive my grocery bag. It's all I had at home. So, Get this water out of the way. There we go. So I picked up some rocks. And these rocks are pretty large. If you got hit by one of these rocks, it would hurt you. Like, right, it would, it would leave a mark. It would do some damage. 
And these rocks represent the words sometimes in our relationships that we use against one another, right? So when you say something to me, I don't like it. I got a, I got a pile of rocks with your name on it, actually. And every rock represents something that you did in the past. Okay. Oh, you, oh really? <laughs> Last week. You, know, you remember that? Bam. They get hit. What do they do? Oh, you, you got a pile of rocks? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get mine. <laughs> Remember that time when you said this about my mother? <laughs> That's right. Bleed out, buddy. Bleed out. Oh, you think that's cute. Well, you don't know. All right, and we just go on and on, and then wham. Right, and it just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then we wonder why we drop the D word. Why? Because this is what happens after you've hit each other so many times. I mean, come on, this is logic. You're bloodied, you're bruised, you're wounded, you're hurt, and you're what? You're angry. You're angry, right? And anger, of course we know this, it leads to, to, to bitterness and, and, and resentment. And this all leads to what? To, to hatred. And this hatred leads to what? To the hardness of our heart. And so, so often in, in marriages, the reason why I can't stand you, you're, you made, you're sick, you made me sick. And 18 years ago, you were in love and you couldn't get enough of that person, right? Why? Because the hardness of your heart. I don't want to be, I don't ever want to see you. What would lead someone to say that? It's the hardness of the heart. And if we're not careful, what we do is, is we get involved in these conversations and arguments and we're, we're, you know, hitting people with the pad. Well, you said that and you did this and we go back and forth and we're bloody and we're bruised and we wonder why the D word gets dropped because we're so hurt and so wounded. Listen, that we don't know anything else to do. Our hearts become hardened. Here's what it takes though. Here's what it takes. If you're going to save a family, save a marriage, here's what it takes. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm. Shut your mouth and walk away. Take your weapon. Some of you are not hearing this this morning. Take your weapons and what? Put them down. Some of you, this is the only way you know how to communicate now. Perhaps in some of your relationships, right? And you have to take your weapons and decide, <laughs> you deserve it, buddy, pal. <laughs> how, how, how can you save that at this point? If, if you're going to soften the heart, someone in that relationship must dare. You must dare. And it's going to take a lot of courage. You must dare sow a kind word. But I don't feel it. I'm not talking about how you feel. But he doesn't, she doesn't deserve it. I, I fully understand that. Neither do I deserve it. Or I've earned it. Neither have you. 
some, at some point, if you're going to move forward, right, someone must dare to sow a kind word. And if you can sow one kind word, listen, just maybe that heart of stone, maybe just a little bit of its edge will be broken off. And then what happens? Just maybe, just maybe they can reciprocate. But what if he does that? He didn't mean it, though, Pastor Marco. I know he didn't mean it. But did he say it? He did. Okay, then receive it. Because forgiveness, listen, is always an action first and a feeling later. If you're waiting for the feeling, you're living in a utopian land that does not exist. Forgiveness is always an action first, a feeling later. So we must begin to forgive from the heart by putting our weapons down and recognizing, listen, that the only thing that this leads to is a broken relationship and a hardening of the heart. Has anyone ever heard of homeowners? Have you ever heard of hard water? Anybody ever heard of hard water? Hard water can, can, can wreak havoc on your home and obviously on your water, of course. Hard water is caused because of a, a buildup of magnesium and calcium. And these things alone, you know, won't, on their own, they're not necessarily bad. But when there's a buildup of them in the water, it causes hard water. And I want, I want to say that because it's the same in your life. When there's a buildup of anger, bitterness, and resentment, it's going to lead to a, what? a hard heart. And when the heart is hardened and two people cannot even look at each other, can I just be honest with you? <laughs> It takes a lot of intervention to soften that heart because they're so programmed for war. They're so programmed for battle. There takes a pastor and several people and a professional counselor and a psychologist. I mean, it takes, I mean, God himself has to move in. There has to be a divine intervention because why? Because both hearts are hardened and they just look at each other with total disgust. The heart has been Hardened. I, I, I want you to avoid this in your relationships. Fake forgiveness. Number two, fake forgiveness is conditional forgiveness. Conditional forgiveness occurs when someone claims to forgive another person but attaches conditions to that forgiveness. I'll forgive you if you A, B, C, right, X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? So there's these stipulations, there's these conditions. And the forgiveness that God offers us, of course, is, I mean... How many times have we messed up? How many times have we been unfaithful? He continues to forgive us. This form of forgiveness often falls short of a genuine reconciliation. Number three, superficial forgiveness. Superficial forgiveness is when a person forgives in words but not in their heart. It's very much related to, to the first reason I gave you. So they may say things like, I forgive you without ever addressing or processing their emotions, and they continue to harbor what? Those negative feelings are still, are still stirring up on the, on the inside. Now, again, forgiveness is an action first, a feeling later, but uh, feelings should eventually come. Now, it may take a long time, but we want them to eventually come. Those forms of fake forgiveness, they can hinder our healing and the rec reconciliation of two people. They can really do a number of, on us. Now, in the same way, what if you're here and, uh, or you're watching online, and what if you're the one who needs to ask for forgiveness? You need to apologize. It's not that you're just forgiving someone else, but you need to apologize. Well, I want to just quickly share with you three forms of fake 
apology, apologies, excuse me. When you're asking for forgiveness, I want you to avoid these if, if at all possible. Number one, the I'm sorry you feel that way apology. Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you felt, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't apologize. I'm sorry you. So essentially what you're doing is you're, you're not taking any responsibility. You're blaming someone's emotions for the circumstance. Someone else is still at fault. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you did that. But you're not owning up to your own responsibility, right? Implies that the problem lies with the other person's emotions rather than the actions or words that caused the hurt. Number two, the if apology. The if apology. This type of non-apology uses conditional language and places the blame on the offended party or circumstances. For example, I'm sorry if you were offended. Here we go again. It's conditional. If you, if, if. But that's not, it's avoiding accountability. Number three, the mistakes were made apology. This is kind of like the Hollywood apology. Hey, I just want to go, um, you know, I wanted to throw this press conference to say that errors were made. Um, mistakes were made in my relationships. Um, and, it, right, we see this in like, in like, you know, movie stars. And I should not have, I need to be more educated and I need to do the work of blah, 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 this, you know, garbage. And <laughs> it's a fake apology, right? Mistakes were made. What, why? It's just so ambiguous. You don't, you don't name anything. So what would what, you do? What happened? I don't know. He's just, mistakes were made. How about this one? Transgressions occurred. I want to just say transgressions occurred in my relationship in the year 2017. Error was made, mistakes. What does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Right? It's a fake apology. Right? Mistakes were made. And again, you're avoiding accountability for your actions. And so we have to be careful because we can easily do this when we're trying to to apologize. Why don't we apologize? We don't apologize because of pride. That's just, the number, that's just it, right? The number one reason we don't apologize is because of pride. You know what a, a real apology sounds like? A real apology sounds like this. I'm sorry I got angry at you. It was my fault. I'm sorry I didn't do so-and-so. I take the blame. Okay. That's what a real apology. A real apology is taking responsibility, right? And if there is a real apology, it should be met, hopefully, with what? Humility on the other side. Humility. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about who's humble. So often, couples get into a fight and a battle about who's right and who's wrong. Can I just tell you, that'll go on forever. That'll go on forever. So it can't be about that. It has to be about who's humble. There may be circumstances where you're, you're in the right. But if you want to save it, be humble. Receive the apology. Move forward, right? This happens at time. Who can be humble? God is requiring both, right, husbands and wives, of course, to be humble in their marriages. I want to close this out here just a few minutes. We're almost done, folks couple more points. 
Number one is this. We don't forgive because the other person deserves it, right? We forgive because Christ has forgiven us. Okay? Yeah. This is a tough one, but this is what the scripture is telling us, right? So we're not forgiving others because they deserve it, because they've asked for it, because they've earned it. No, because we remember that Jesus has forgiven us and that we have been forgiven of much. And, and we didn't earn our good standing with God. And Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could be forgiven. Have we allowed the gospel to transform our own hearts? How can we begin to forgive from the heart? Well, Luke six twenty seven. But I say to you, Jesus is speaking. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. This is really, really counterculture. This is really offensive to most of us. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If you want to begin to forgive from the heart, again, it's going to be an action first, a feeling later, you must begin to bless that other person. And at first, guess what? You won't feel it. So don't expect the feelings to be there. Don't expect the feelings to be there. Just begin to bless that person. Lord, bless them. That might be your your prayer right there. Lord, bless them. You're out. You keep doing that. You keep doing it. And the idea is is that forgiveness, it sets you free by what? By changing your heart. It sets you free from the prison that you're in by changing your heart, by softening your heart, and that eventually there will be a time where you can forgive from the heart. Maybe you're here and you're like, I cannot, I think I'm forgiving, or I think I'm forgiving, Pastor Marco, but I guess I'm not. I keep bringing it up, maybe, or or whatever the case is, and like, I feel like maybe I'm not, and I'm kind of conflicted. That's most of us, if I can be honest. Most of us go through that. We, we We all do, I think, right? So let me challenge you to begin to bless that person. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, I know. That's the point, right? Well, he doesn't deserve, she doesn't deserve that. I fully, fully understand you. They don't. I would agree. But this is what the scripture commands us to do. Bless those who curse you. Are you, can you bless them? Lord, bless them. That might be it. And then hopefully the the idea is as forgiveness melts your heart, as you're reminded of how Jesus bled on the cross for you in your place, right? The gospel takes a hold of your life, give a revelation of how much you've been forgiven, and then the feelings come and you can begin to forgive that person from the heart by blessing that person. Lord, would you bless them? I want to pray for you today. And if you're here and you're not following Jesus, if you're watching online and you're not a follower of Christ, The first step is, number one, to bow your knee, to bow your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For only in Him can you understand what it truly means to be a disciple and what it truly means to forgive from the heart. You must be forgiven, and it wasn't free. It cost Jesus His very life. And I want that for you. This is the reason why I'm here today, so that you might find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But for the rest of you, I'm going to just pray over you right now. And I want to just pray that forgiveness might abound in our church. And I know for some of you, your hearts are hardened. I feel your pain. Your hearts are hardened. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of intentionality. It's going to take a divine revelation of the love of God. But it it can happen. For the scripture says that nothing is impossible with God. 
Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and I thank you for this church. Lord, it's the privilege of my life to pastor this church. Father, would you bless these people here? Would you bless these marriages? Would you bless these sweet families and these beautiful children that we have? Father, I pray a blessing, God, on all of our kids in this congregation. I pray a blessing on families in our congregation. Lord, thank you, God, that there, uh, there's a blessing that can be commanded. Father, I pray right now for hardened hearts. And maybe it's just a handful of people in here. Maybe it's a few online. I don't know, Lord, but you know. So, Lord, would you soften hardened hearts? Would you give us a divine revelation, God, of how we've been forgiven of so much, how Jesus went to the cross in our place. He died in our place. He lived the life that we couldn't live, but he died the death that we all deserve. God, we want a divine revelation of forgiveness today so that, God, our hearts can begin to slowly, slowly, God, soften to forgive our spouses, to forgive our co-worker, to forgive family members from our heart. Lord, your word says that nothing is impossible for God. So, Father God, we pray right now, God, for those marriages that are hanging on by a thread, we pray for a, a divine intervention, God, a divine opening of eyes, a divine softening of the heart. Holy Spirit, we pray that she would break up, follow ground, soften the hardest of hearts, God. Father, I pray that husbands would put down their, their weapons. Lord, I pray that wives would put down their weapons, God, and they would begin to walk in humility, Lord, being reminded again of what you've done for them, Lord. So I just command a blessing over families today, Lord. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for this thriving community. I thank you, Lord, for this church that's growing and flourishing and thriving. Lord, and I pray that you continue to grow our church, God, so that others might know what it means to be forgiven, God. Others might experience what new life feels like and truly is in Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Can we clap our hands for our King this morning?